0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Let's just pray, and then I'm going to get uh, into the message this morning. Father, we thank you that you have an incredibly generous heart. Father, that, that you give freely to us, that you gave your son, that he left heaven, the place of perfection, came down to our brokenness, gave up your very life, gave up your very best so that we could have life. Father, we thank you, Lord, that what is absolutely wrapped up in the very DNA of your heart is a spirit of generosity. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would help me to stir up and inspire people this morning to see beyond themselves. To see the potential of a church that is generous. To see the potential of a church that can impact a city. Father, to see the potential of a church, Lord, that has nothing hindering it, nothing holding it back. But, Lord, that we could touch every sphere and every opportunity. Father, I pray, Lord, for the days that when we have a a need that's presented or we have a situation that is presented to us, Father, that we would never turn them away. But, Lord, we would meet every need that comes. Father, we pray for that opportunity. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen, amen. For those that are coming to the open house next Sunday, I'm going to give you a sneak preview on one of our values that we're going to talk about. But number six on our, our list of nine values is giving generously. We believe in this spirit called generosity. How many um, love being the recipient of someone's generosity? How many are a little less excited to be the one giving it? It's like Christmas. You can always tell who's, who's got the spirit of selfishness and the spirit of generosity. In our house, it's... Uh, it's pretty easy to tell very quickly, because one of them, I won't say who, who's sitting on the front row beside her mother right now, um, but that person will just, she doesn't even care about her own stuff. She doesn't even care about opening her own presents. She just wants to see everyone else get everything else, and whenever someone else is smiling, she just lights up. It's like, it's so awesome to see, and it's your turn. Oh, don't worry about me. Just have everyone else pick it. We'll just watch, and she finally gets to hers, usually near the end, but she has a spirit of generosity. Just before we moved to Kingston, uh, we went to this live nativity scene. How many have ever been a drive-through live nativity scene? Okay, some of Yeah, I was with you. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I remember. Um, and uh, there's this one church in Curtis, Ontario called Charles Road Free Methodist Church. And they literally, for years upon years upon years, they would have a live nativity scene that would take up their entire back property, and you would drive through it. So you would pull your windows down, because there was music playing, there was some narration that was playing, and everything was live. So the the people were live, there was live actors, and they were going through the scenes of the first Christmas. And of course, at the end, you get to the stable with the baby and all that stuff, but they had live animals too that liked to leave a lot of things around after their path. And, and you know, he had to make sure he didn't drive in at all. But they were walking everywhere. So we would have, like, animals walk right by us on this side of the car. And animals walk right by us on that side of the car. And Josiah, who was turning four, Hannah, who was two and a half, and Caleb, who was three months old, were just mesmerized by this whole thing. Now, the only cost to get into this event was very simple. It was you had to bring a bag or, or some non-perishable food items for, the, for the, uh, the, the food mission that was in Oshawa. Simple enough. So we brought a couple of bags, had them there, and then when we got to the end, we made sure that Josiah came out with one, and he helped me carry one over, and then Hannah helped car- uh, carry one over with Sandra, and we ended up handing it in, and everything was awesome. What a great event. We're on our way home. And Josiah, the deep thinker that he is, starts talking through the dynamics of, I wonder, I wonder how much more food we could have given So we get home, Josiah goes right to the pantry, opens up the pantry doors, three and a half years old, opens up the pantry doors, looks at it, and says, "Uh, Mom, Dad, can, can you guys come here? Sure. There's a lot more food in our pantry. I went, yeah, let's give it all. So guess what we did? We found every garbage bag we could have, we get all the little, you know, bags from no frills or all the thrills from No Frills that we used to get back in Oshawa. And we would pack up those bags. And we would we went back. We literally cleaned out our pantry. And we drove back. And when we get there, the people at the beginning are like, I thought you guys were just here. What are you doing coming back? Encore! Encore! You know, that's what we are thinking. And we got to the end. I said, no, our son, our three and a half year old son, Josiah, has something that he'd like to tell you. And so he goes up to them, three and a half years of age, as cute as he was, and says, uh, we recognize that that there's people that have a greater need than we do. And so we cleaned out our pantry, and here's all of our food. Here you go. And I'll tell you something, there's no greater joy, not just as a pastor, but as a father, than to see those principles that mom and dad live by get into your kids. It has been 17 years of the most epic adventure called generosity that we have lived. I, I could have you... For a month straight, telling you stories of all of the most incredible things that God has done through through opportunities for us to give and then the ways that God has blessed back. It's been off the charts. I don't know if you guys have ever seen our, our silver Toyota Sienna that's out there in the parking lot. We did not pay a penny for that van. Not a penny. Somebody had a dream one night. And they were a part of our church many years ago, and they had a dream, and they said, In this dream, the Lord told me to give $1,000 for every year that I've been in Kingston. They've been in Kingston 15 years. I said, go give them that check. Guess what the the van cost? 15 grand to the penny. God knows what he's doing. Now, that's a big thing. We've seen other things. But I want to say to you this this morning that God is a generous God. It's in his heart. It's who he is. When I saw Josiah do what he did, and I've seen my kids do this all the time. I've seen literally step after step. We've had moments where they come home from school, and Josiah would be like, well, Mom, you know, Dad, they, this kid in my class didn't have a lunch, so I gave him mine. I'm kind of hungry. Can I eat? <laughs> like, it's all good, Josiah. That's the best thing you did, man. You did, you did awesome. What is it about that? There's a spirit of generosity that is in the very DNA of heaven that God wants to get into us. Amen? Author John Bunyan from hundreds of years ago said this. You have not lived today until you've done something for someone else who can never repay you. I'm going to read it again. You have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. We have a culture right now that says, yeah, I'm going to give in order to get. And I want to, if I can, right right off the bat, I want to address something that's a a, a Christian church-wide thing that's being affected in certain church communities and certain church, if I can call it like this, church flavors. Is what we've created is we've created a slot machine Jesus. That if we give a certain amount or we sow a seed to this certain thing, that we can do the slot machine and get a return from God's blessing. Now, is there something called sowing and reaping? Yes. How many realize some days that our children are living that out? <laughs> right. There's something called sowing and reaping. Yes, there's always a byproduct of God's return and blessing. But at the end of the day, we never give to get. It's completely the wrong motive. Do you think... Jesus came down and says, well, I'm going to give my life just so I can get a whole bunch of love from people. Didn't do it. There's something innate in the very DNA of every believer that is called to be generous. Not to play games with God. Not to play the the slot machine Jesus. Lord, if I do this, then cha-ching, I'm going to get something back. Do you know what? I think it honestly breaks the heart of God when we give to something or to a certain need with this concept that we want to get something in return. I can say from day one for Sandra and I, when we came to Impact Church, we said from day one, everything we do, it's not about us. It's not about us. If there's anything connected to Cameron and Sandra Jeffs or Impact Church or anybody in here, guess what it says? It says that the focus needs to be on them. And the focus at the end of the day always needs to be Jesus. We do something because we want to put the focus back on Jesus. I've had people come to me before in the last nine years and say, you know, what do you want from us? Nothing. Yeah, you got some agenda, don't you? I don't got nothing. Are you sure? Like, are you serious? No. So why are you doing what you're doing? Because Jesus has done much for me. I can't help myself but be just like him and give that for you. No strings attached. No conditions. No slot machine Jesus. Just a heart of generosity. Amen? Proverbs 11.25 says this, The generous will will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Josiah, eight and a half years ago, understood that verse, and he still understands that to this day. I have news for you today. I want to give a little bit of an overview from the Bible. Do you know that there's just slightly over 500 verses in the Bible on faith? Do you know that there's slightly over 500 verses on prayer? But there are over 2,300 verses on finances and your material possessions. 2,300. Do you know that 30% of Jesus' parables, his stories that he told, had to do with finances, and your material possessions. So I'm saying that not to say we should put our emphasis on money, but I'm saying that to say that there was something important in the heart of God about those things that we hold dear to. Matthew 6.24 literally says, very simply, where your treasure is, there's your heart. So you can say, well, you know, I just love Jesus, and I love God, and I love doing all these things. And you know what I've often said, someone said to me many, many years ago, and he said it to me at a time when I didn't want to hear it. How many of you have ever had someone tell you something you didn't want to hear at that moment? Right. And then you're thinking of every possible way that you can get out of the conversation without them being offended, And to the point where they've crossed a line and now you're offended. Now you're thinking, how can I offend them? <laughs> of course, that's never happened in our lives ever, that we've ever had these thoughts. But in that moment, they were challenging me. In that moment. He was basically saying to me, listen, I want you to look at your bank account, and I want you to add up your budget for a month. I want you to look at everything that you spend, and I want you to categorize it according to different categories. So one could be your home expenses, you know, utilities, your mortgage, that kind of thing. Some can be, you know, your entertainment, you know, going out for a movie, going out for a restaurant, blah, 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 blah. Some can be money for, you know, maintenance in your house. Some of it could be car related, your car insurance, all those things, gas, you don't name it. And then I want you to put a big one at the end, and I want you to call that the God one. And the first thing that I thought of was, okay, yeah, God, does, God gets our tithe. I get that, 10%. I get that. But I, here's what he said. He said, I want you to look at that component, that, you know, that, that box, and I want you to think of everything just beyond your tithe. So what are you doing to add to that box that's above and beyond your tithe? And I started looking at that, and God started stirring up in me this whole concept of maybe I should think beyond just I come to church, I give my tithe, and I'm good. How many know that whenever God comes to you and deals with you about your finances, um, let's just be honest this morning, we rarely ever want to hear it. If I walked up and down the hallway every Sunday and went, tithing, 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 it's my favorite thing to do, tithing, I don't think I would have much of a congregation the week after. Right? There's certain things that cause great controversy in the church. One's tithing. One's the Holy Spirit. Yet, as John Bevere says, the most important doctrines of Scripture are the ones the devil always wants to pervert. Create as much controversy around them as possible. Make people run away from it. Within the very DNA of heaven is a heart of generosity. It goes beyond anything, and the coolest thing is, is God will always get you to a moment where it's not just about giving, and it's not just about tithing; it's about sacrificial giving. I often talk to my father, and, and uh, he's a retired principal. For those that don't know, and whenever he talks about all of the schools that he was at, and you ask my father, and you can ask him anytime you see him next, you say, "Bill, what was your favorite school that you were ever at in the history of your educational uh, career?" And he goes, "Oh, without a doubt, Cedar Dell Public School." He'll tell you that. You can ask him right now. Next time you see it, text him. What was your favorite school? Cedardale Public School. Why? Because it captured his heart. It was the poorest school in the Durham District School Board. It had nothing, including they didn't even have a gym. They were in a 90-year-old building with no gym. They had to bus all their kids from one place to the next, they had some of the worst case scenarios. And this is back in the day, 25 years ago, when there weren't a lot of assistants. There weren't EAs. There weren't helps. There weren't structures. There weren't all of these things that we can take advantage of today. Because for the most part, 25 years ago, some of those issues were still taboo. The educational system didn't know what to do with it. But you asked my dad today, what was your favorite school? Cedardale Public School, without a doubt. I've asked him to say, Dad, why? It's just because there was something about those kids that I just could not help but give to. There was something about the potential that I couldn't stop believing in. There was something about them. And I felt like if there was only one person I could reach, it was worth it. Where sometimes you go to those other schools, and he was in a couple big schools in Whitby that were uppity schools. And he says he couldn't stand it because of the arrogance and the selfishness from so many different places and the selfishness of parents and the demand from parents to do this, that, and the other thing. Is like, I love Cedardale. There's something innate within our hearts that God puts there when we understand our relationship with Christ that transforms us From being a person that gives to being a person that is overwhelmed with a spirit of generosity. Looking for every opportunity to connect, to meet a need, to show the love of Christ in a tangible way. Do you believe that? Amen. So what fights against the spirit of generosity? Now I wanted to say before I put these statistics on the screen, I want to say this is a study that was done a couple years back. This is legitimate. So don't start throwing things at me and you think this is crazy. This is a legitimate study that was done. Uh, It was was called The Day America Told the Truth by James Patterson and Peter Kim. And it was simply asking people a simple question. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? 25% said they would abandon their entire family. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week. 16% said they would give up their citizenship. 16% said they would leave their spouse. 10% said they would hold testimony to let a murderer go free. 7% 7% said they would kill a stranger. And 3% said they would put their kids up for adoption. Now, some of us are thinking, well, maybe one or two, but not all of them. You know what I'm saying? All right, <laughs> okay, moving right along. Okay. But I'm telling you right now, that is culture speaking. So what, fight against, what fights against the spirit of generosity? Simple. Selfishness. Every statement that is on that screen right behind us right now is a statement of selfishness. A statement of if I get something that I want, I'm willing to let go of all of my own personal values and convictions and principles in order to get something that I feel like I deserve. $10 million. Funniest thing is probably most of these people will spend through that $10 million in less than two weeks trying to keep up with the Joneses. The Joneses are people they don't even like. Right? And where does it get them? nowhere. G.K. Chesterton, a famous theologian, said this. Among the rich, you will never find a really generous man, even by accident. They may give their money away, but they will never give themselves away. They are egotistic, uh, egotistical, secretive, dry as old bones. To be smart enough to get all that money, you must be dull enough to want it. I love that. Brilliance. Proverbs 11.24 says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I love how the Bible just makes it so simple. So easy, so straightforward. So such a powerful thing that we cannot miss. But when I can I say this morning for Christians, generosity is not optional. It's not an option. It's not something that we can think about because if we are a child of God, it's in our DNA. Amen. Second Corinthians 8, 7 says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul is literally saying, take all of those other things, but add to it this graceful, generous spirit that will literally pour out the blessing of God on everybody as we have opportunity. Can I say this morning that you cannot outgive God? You can't do it. Absolutely can't do it. What God is looking for are people that He can trust to be a conduit of His blessing on the earth. There's a quote from an unknown author, and it says, You can give and not love, but it is impossible to love and not give. I'm going to say that again. You can give and not love, but it is impossible to love. To love and not give. So, I wanted to share three basic thoughts this morning. It's not going to be overly deep, but it is meant and designed to literally kind of lay the foundation for the next month. Some of it's going to be tied into our vision Sunday next week. And then the following, the last two weeks of May, we're going to talk in more detail about uh, this concept of generosity, including the issue of tithing. So, um, it's going to be the last week in May. I know every one of you wants to be here for that day. It's such an important day. You're going to say to yourself, you know, I, if there's one thing I wake up in the morning, is I just want to hear all about tithing, right? It just floats your boat. It gets you excited. Um, and, and, and that's just what it's all about. But I tell you, there's something so powerful about that. Here it is. Thought number one. All Christians. Can I say it like this? All Christians are generous. To be a Christian is to be Christ-like. To be Christ-like is to be generous. How many have ever been around people that are stingy? Don't put up your hand. How many ever felt the warm and fuzzy of the Holy Spirit when you're around them? No, exactly. I can honestly say this. You You know who inspires me? People that are generous. I get around them, I hear their stories, I see what they do and I just want to be like them. I'm like, how can I be like that? That's awesome. I just want to keep giving and giving and giving and giving. But we are children of a generous God. Amen? Simply put, if we are in Christ, if we are like Christ, then we will be generous. Can I just give you a little bit of a simple biblical overview of the generosity of God himself? Let's look at Romans ten twelve, and you can follow on the screen behind me. It says this, talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. It says they have the same Lord, God, who gives generously generously to all who call on Him. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The generous grace. How many have ever received the grace of God and are thankful that we are not where we should be, but we're where He wants us to be because of His grace and His goodness? Amen? Amen. Titus chapter 3, verse 6, it says, He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that that God pours out His Spirit without measure. He just blesses and pours Him out so that we have the ability to do what we cannot do in the natural. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, and He gives grace generously. Again, hitting home on that concept of grace. Psalm 100, verse 5, it says, For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and forever. A harmony are thankful for the loyalty of God in the midst of our struggles. And last but not least, Psalm 130 Verses 7 and 8 in the Message Bible, it says this, "O Israel, wait and watch for God. With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous redemption. Wow. Generous redemption. No doubt about it, he'll redeem Israel, buy back Israel from captivity to sin. Amen? Can I say this this morning? And this is something that I've realized in my life. The closer that I get to God, the more generous I become. So if you want to do a really good litmus test on where you're at with your relationship with God, ask yourself, how much do you have your hands on what he, he's given you and how easy it is to give it away? Because if you like your hands all in it, uh, I would question how far you've gone in understanding the love of God. Not that you don't understand it, not that you haven't experienced it, but there's something about going to that level of, as what the Bible describes as us being stewards how many know that if someone, bo- you know, lends you your vehicle, because say your vehicle's in the shop, and they lend your vehicle for, for a, say, a month, because they're just so kind and generous, and they can operate on a, they have two cars, they're using one, they're lending you the other one. How many know at the end of the day, when you give them the vehicle back, and you come up to them and said, you know, I just wanted to let you know, like, I am such a generous person, and such an amazing Christian, because I'm giving you your vehicle back. Why is that such an important thought? Because the tithe is not ours. The tithe we return to God. Giving is what we do on top of that. Tithe isn't ours to keep. It's his (laughs) van. He has the ownership. So being a steward is literally, God, you own everything, and you entrust us to take care of it as long as you want us to take care of it. And the moment that you want us to pass that little blessing on to somebody else, we're going to do it. Why? Because it's not ours. We've said from day one, God, everything we have is yours. If you want us to give away this, that, and the other thing, we'll do it. And we've had moments where the kids have come home from school and our living room is empty. And we explained to them, somebody else had the need of a couch and chair more than we did. And Josiah's first answer was, it's okay, Dad, we got two couches. We can sit on the other one. I'm like, duh, yeah, that's awesome. So when we look at it, we go, it's not ours. Because we are Christians, because we are ra- literally wrapped up in the very love of God, and the very DNA of God, then generosity is the natural overflow of our lives towards those around us. Do you believe that this morning? Psalm 37, 21 says that the godly are generous givers. Pretty, self, pretty easy. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-six says the godly love to give. Amen, I do. I don't know about you, I do. I get more at a giving to somebody else than I ever do receiving. Receiving's great, giving's better. Amen. It's a quote here. I don't think I have it on the screen, but I want you to just hear it. To, uh, listen to me. It says, "Everything you have is God's, and only what you give away will have eternal significance." I'm going to say it again. Everything that you have is God's, and only what you give away will have eternal significance. Do you believe that this morning? I want to read a story about Alexander the Great. Um, some of you probably think to yourself, "Yeah, he's probably not a great example of generosity." or Christianity, or giving. He did do a lot of giving. Usually it was in the form of death, um, but he, which I don't recommend. Um, but here's a story about Alexander the Great that I think will probably make you think about him a little different, at least, at least for today. The story is told that one day a beggar by the roadside asked for alms from Alexander the Great as he passed by. The man was poor and wretched and had no claim upon the ruler, no right even to lift Um, a, a solicitous hand. Yet the emperor threw him several gold coins. A courtier was astonished at his generosity and commented, Sir, copper coins would adequately meet a beggar's need. Why give him gold? Alexander responded in royal fashion, copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Giving is not so much about the need that you are giving to, but it's about the nature of the giver. The nature of God is to give. For God so loved the world that he took, that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's in our DNA. Because I am a spiritual descendant of Jesus Christ, I'm a generous giver. Selfishness is foreign to the DNA of heaven. It doesn't exist. It doesn't happen there, and it never will. The second thought is this. Blessing is a byproduct of generosity. And I want to just throw out one quick little disclaimer here. Notice it didn't say that it was the goal. Blessing is a byproduct of generosity, but it is not our focal point. It's not our goal. It's not not what we look for. We love to serve Jesus, not because of what he can give us, but what we we can do through him. It's not about what we get. At the end of the day, I don't think God is up there, you know, counting all the different things that people have done and this person has done. I mean, he does, in a sense, count what we do for him. And the Bible says he's going to give us rewards when we get to heaven based upon what we do with what God's given us. But at the end of the day, I don't think he's got this tally system of how much money you've given where, when, and how, and, and how much money you gave to this situation or that person or, or this church. or this. What he's looking at is he's looking at your heart. He's saying, is, is that spirit of generosity wrapped up within your heart? I'm going to read a verse that we've already read, but I'm going to back up one verse just to give it a little bit more context. It's Proverbs 11, 24 to 25. And it says this, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. How many think that sounds like a pretty good idea? Amen? So I I want to just say something to give it a little bit of a scientific context here so that we can relate to it on earth. Do you know that it is not possible to create an empty hole? Because nature won't allow it. The moment you create an empty hole by digging something up, air automatically fills it something automatically fills it so generosity is the same thing with us when it comes to giving generosity creates a vacuum into which god flows and has to fill but he cannot fill a hole if you haven't created it how do we create a hole it's called sacrificial giving how many know that if you have 20 bucks in your pocket right now and God says, I want you to go pay for the guy behind the line at Tim Hortons on the way home, how many know that's not really sacrificial because you got 20 bucks, anyone's got 20 bucks, a lot of people got 20 bucks, you just put it in there and 20 bucks, no big deal. Some people it is, but most people it's like yeah, it's 20 bucks. But what happens if God comes to you and says, um, I, want you to, I want you to go pay for that big thing over there? Well, that big thing's like like $4,000 dollars. Yeah, that's what I said. Well, that's all I have in my savings account. Saving it for our family vacation. Yep. But I really want to go to Disneyland. (laughs) Vacation in my presence is much better. But how will I know? Because I told you. Okay, can I say this this morning? The moment that you get the spirit of generosity is the moment it becomes sacrificial and it hurts. The moment something hurts is the moment that you, ha- you know that God's got your heart, right? The moment it do- if it doesn't hurt, you won't, you won't have that. You'll just, you'll give here and there, little bits here and there, but you will never understand sacrificial giving until God gets your heart. Years ago, I struggled with this. Really struggle with it. And, and I always process through, well, God, I know I've got some resources and I could probably help that person, but I just don't, I don't want to. <laughs> Come on, sometimes we just got to be honest. That's exactly what we're thinking, but we're just trying to be too godly in church to ever admit it. Well, once you give it to them? I don't want to. God. leave me alone. Get behind me, God. <laughs> and we look at them and we go, I don't understand. Lord, why are you bugging me? I thought you said you wanted to serve me and live for me. Yeah, but in the context that I'm comfortable. <sighs> and then I honestly believe in that moment that I had a Jedi force dream and God came in the form of Yoda. Do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> and in that moment, I came from the dark side of the force to the light. And I did something crazy. This is going back about 23, 24 years ago. And in a succession of about three months... I did three insane things that I still to this day don't know exactly what I was overtaken by and did, including giving away my car and a bunch of other things. And I was like, God, what are you doing? And then it was almost like he said, I'm going to invite you to the greatest epic adventure called generosity that you could ever be on. So I'm telling you right now, take Sandra and I out to the keg sometime this week and give us about three or four hours specifically at the keg, the anointing only falls there. And, um, and when I'm sitting there and eating that medium well, oh, yes, Lord, with the sautéed mushrooms and the garlic mashed potatoes. Yes, Lord, I love you. When I'm sitting down, I can tell you all these incredible stories about what God has done with somebody that's been so captivated by a spirit of generosity that never, nothing ever holds us back. Our kids get upset at us when we don't give enough that week. Well, why didn't we do that, Dad? Um, uh, And then you got nothing to come up with because I'm the pastor. You know? Um, 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 Well, we were busy saving the world, honey. We were just busy saving the world that day. You know, we had to focus one thing at a time. I'm a male. I can only do one thing at a time, honey. Maybe tomorrow we'll have that opportunity. Maybe. Maybe. But something overtakes you. And something gets you to this edge where you realize you're about ready to fall off a cliff. Because God's saying, no, 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 I don't want you to give the 20 bucks. No, that person has a need. That need is $2,000. You have that in your savings account. Yes, you want to go on a vacation. Give it away. But God, he goes, if you create a hole, I'll fill it. If you create the hole, there's a vacuum effect that happens that literally sucks my generosity right down into the situation and will meet a need that will blow you away. It's such a tough thing as a pastor to talk about because you know why? As soon as you say that, people are like, oh, you're just all about money. (laughs) You're just all about money. That's all you ever ask for. And you know what my response is? Hey, have you ever had the Canadian Cancer Society come to your door? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever realized that the only thing they ever do is ask about money? <laughs> Every single time, that's all they do is ask about money. But you don't have a problem with that. Why? Because you believe in the cause. Mm. I believe in the cause of the kingdom. Woo! And the cause of the kingdom inspires me to be like Christ. Inspires me. You cannot outgive God. It is impossible because He owns everything. He owns Bill Gates' personal credit card. <laughs> so if he has to do a direct deposit into your bank account, sign Bill Gates with love, then he'll do it. I don't care. I want to be his best friend. I've already made up my mind. I'm going to be Bill Gates' best friend. He doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to show up at his office and just say, I'm going to be just like Sander was with you. I'm just going to show up at the office. I'm going to go, I'm not leaving because uh, I have a special appointment with Bill Gates. What do you want to talk about? How much uh, his bank account is and how little mine is and how much in partnership and in alignment we could solve that problem. (laughs) If you just follow, we're good to go. Okay. All right. So. I want to read a couple of verses here. Psalm 112 verse 9 says they share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. Ecclesiastes 11:1 says be generous, invest in acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. Luke 6.38, given it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The measure you use. God wants someone to be overtaken by a spirit of generosity so that we can be entrusted to be a conduit of his blessing to every person we come in contact with. Amen? 2 Corinthians 9, 10, 11. I have tons of verses, but I wanted to solidify this This. This morning with the Bible. For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will give you many opportunities to do good. And he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched so that you can give even more generously. Proverbs uh, 28, 27 says, He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. The third thought that I wanted to just drop in your heart today is something very simple, and it's simply this. Selfishness stifles happiness. Selfishness stifles happiness. Proverbs 14, verses 30 to 31, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. How many of you have ever been envious or jealous of someone else's blessing? Don't put up your hand. Because if you're human, every one of us could put up our hand. How many of you have ever seen anyone else get a breakthrough or a blessing or some got kind of an answer to prayer? And inwardly, in, you're like, Yes, Lord, that's so awesome. And inside, you're going, Well, Lord, I'm going to just get out my journal book and show you all the things that I've done for you for the last 53 and a half years. You don't care about me. That is the conclusion. I am not a good, good son because you're not a good, good father. (laughs) We think it in those moments when all humanity hits us and all of those ungodly thoughts hit us, we go, well, I deserve that. How do I know I was a professional at that when I was younger. I was always looking at people going, well, why did God bless them? Like, what did they do? And then I could just see God's face from heaven going, well, not much because you don't do nothing. <laughs> but I mean that in love. <laughs> yes. You know, sometimes we often think God's just got this grand, wonderful idea of how he speaks to us. And sometimes with people like me, I don't think he speaks like he does to anybody else. When he deals with me, it's like, Cameron, sit down. How many times have we been through this? Um, Only once in the last five minutes. It's been five times in the last seven minutes. And sometimes God just looks at us and sees past it because he loves us with his everlasting love. But can I say this? God's voice about certain situations changes when he understands that we have generosity in our heart. It's almost like there's this excitement in his voice, there's this adventure. There's this mission impossible that he's going to give us with a little tape that ends and the message will self-destruct at the end of 30 seconds. He gives us these things and we go, wow, God, what's up with that? And then we do it. And you know what happens? The moment we do it, more comes. And then the more we do that, more comes. And the more we do it, the more comes. More opportunities come. More things are, our doors are open and we just keep going. It's amazing what God would want us to do. But selfishness is so unlike God. It's so unlike the Father. Selfishness in marriage destroys marriages. Selfishness in our finances make us all about ourselves. Selfishness in our talent and our treasure totally transforms our lives and makes us ultimately a very self-centered and arrogant person. Selfishness with our heart always leads us or causes us to end up in a very lonely place. Selfishness never, ever, ever is a blessing. Generosity always is. There's never a bad moment in generosity. It's always good. I want to read an illustration that really emphasizes this thought. How many know that culture is something that we can't get away from. We understand that we can look at our news feeds on our phone, we can turn the TV on, we can talk to people that we know, our neighbors, co-workers, all the nine yards. And we know that that there's a spirit of selfishness that's absolutely wrapped up in our culture right now that is, is, is teaching a pervasive message about how to look after yourself, how to have your own rights. It's amazing how God starts the journey with us as Christians and says, deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow me. Nowhere does it say, do what you want, have your rights, do what you want, have your rights, and then life will be perfect. It says, deny yourself. Step one, take up your cross. Usually not an easy thing to do. Step two. Three, follow him. How many have ever realized that the road of fellowship is difficult at times? Right. Okay, we're good. We're tracking here. I want to read an illustration, then I want to come in for a close. There's a missionary that was down in... Uh, uh, literally ministering to the Mazatec Indians in southwest Mexico. Her name was Eunice Pike. And there's an interesting story I just want to read to you this morning. It says, During this time, she has discovered some interesting things about these beautiful people. For instance, the people seldom wish someone well. Not only that, they are hesitant to teach one another or to share the gospel with each other. If asked, who taught you to bake bread? The village baker always answers, I just know. Meaning that he has acquired the knowledge without anyone's help. Eunice says this odd behavior stems from the Indians' concept of limited good. They believe that there is only so much good, so much knowledge, so much love to go around. To uh, To teach another means you might drain yourself of knowledge. To love a second child means you have to love the first child less. To wish someone well, have a good day, means you have just given away some of your own happiness, which cannot be reacquired. And sadly, the majority of North American Christians... Act like that. Just like that. I can't give that away because, well, what will be there for me? The moment you give it away, you create a hole, you create a vacuum, and God automatically fills it. Amen? G.K. Chesterton said this, there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. One is to accumulate more and more. One is to desire less. I don't think we have to desire less necessarily in the sense that we just need to desire Jesus more. That's what it's really about. 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Thank God for his Son, a gift too wonderful for words. Another translation talks about this concept of being an indescribable gift. Isaiah 32.8, But generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Amen.